This is the last episode of the Spring Fundraiser. Your support has kept this show going now into a ninth year with more than 500 episodes in the archives. Whenever you listen to this latest conversation, whether when it's first released or sometime in the future, if you like what you hear and would like more recordings like this, make a one-time donation online at paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast. Or you can send something in the mail. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. If you'd like to do more than just do a... If you'd like to do more than give a one-time donation and instead would like to become an ongoing monthly supporter, go to patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast and join our growing community. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. This episode continues co-host David Bilbrey's exploration of regenerative business and permaculture as he sits down with Kevin Jones to talk about Gather Lab, Transform 19, and the need to create something more than a conference but rather events that include action. In the case of Transform 19, those are modeled in the form of various labs where participants come together to assist organizations and businesses ready to launch, expand, or go to scale. Kevin and David also talk about impact investing, which focuses on mission-oriented investing so we can think like a philanthropist while acting like an investor. As Transform 19 is still a conference at the core with these labs as a central component, Kevin also shares some of the speakers and other offerings at the event. You'll hear about a number of people and projects you may want to explore further and connect with from around the globe. Enjoy this conversation with Kevin, and I'll join you again after. Hi, this is David Bilbrey with EcoThinkIt.com and the Permaculture Podcast. I'm here today with Kevin Jones, who is the co-founder of Regenerative Economies, Neighborhood Economics, SOCAP, which is Social Capital Markets, and now Gather Lab. Welcome, Kevin. It's good to talk to you. I'm glad to be back, David. Thank you for asking me. So, um, since we last spoke uh, last, I guess it was last spring, a little bit after Region 18, uh, it seems like you've been a busy boy. Tell me what you've been up to. Yeah, well, this is our 10th startup, my wife and mine. Eight of nine succeeded. The ones with her succeeded. The one without her didn't. She's on board. (laughs) So, that's a lesson learned. You know, I want to be free range and she wants to put things in the corral. And so you put those together, you have a real product. That's kind of how we've worked for 44 years or so, uh, marriage and business partnerships. But what we're doing now is really interesting. You know, I, I loved how doing the regenerative economy last year. And I've discovered, you know, you can talk about and really define regenerative agriculture. You know, all those things that we know, permaculture at scale in, in a way. And you can define regenerative communities, communities coming back to life. But it's really kind of impossible to define the regenerative economy because regeneration is by its nature a process. And so it's not amenable to a definition. So we realized, well, we want to keep this going forward. So we changed our whole model to transform and then across three deep and interconnected themes of climate, communities, and capital. And with SOCAP, we built the largest social enterprise impact investing event in the world. And it was, has been the largest for seven or eight years, still is. But it was going to scale. And we wanted to do more intimate gatherings around 350 and really work on problem solving around things that are ready to have a phase shift. So two points that I think would be of interest to your listeners are we're working with regenerateillinois.org. And that's a group of Midwestern farmers who want to go from traditional agriculture beyond organic to regenerative, where you're 
deepening the topsoil, which makes it resilient against flood, which makes the soil healthy, which makes food healthy, which makes people healthy, all those things. And that is the, uh, one of the best ways, along with regenerative forestry, to respond to climate change. And so with them, we have what a series of labs at Transform. And these are labs where something is ready to do a phase change. It's ready to go to the next level. And the labs come in four parts. They're like stair steps, if you will. The first lab is a launch. And they have a right idea. They have the right people. They're accomplished and they want to start something, but they come from somewhere and, they, and they've gotten some milestones. The second is expansion. And so there's a lab that's involving Guayaquil and Lotus Foods and indigenous designs and Ajito Verde that uh, they found a way of doing business, keeping relationships in context and at the forefront in the global supply system so that reciprocal relationships happen to the natural materials and ingredients in our supply chain that goes into Guayaquil juice. Hito uh, Verde is pine resin, which is in a 120 different products that you don't even know. If you're writing with a ballpoint pen, you're using pine resin to hold ink to the paper. If you have a shirt with buttons, pine resin is what makes the thread flexible enough and sturdy to go around your, your button. If you have a shoe, a shoe with leather and rubber meeting, that's pine resin in there. And so we have Guayaquil, juice from the Amazon, and Hito Verde, Lotus Foods, which is a more than organic rice and other kinds of things, and then indigenous designs, which are weavers in the Amazon. And they all have a method of doing business, a dashboard developed with the Pura Picha people in Michoacan by Sean Paul, who founded Root Capital, that they think works, and they're ready to expand. And so they want to take that story to the B Corp world and say, look, let's add keeping relationship intact at the base of your supply system with the people there and not commodifying them and have that be a new metric in the B Corp world. So they're ready. They've got it. It's working. It's ready to expand. The game, which I can talk about later, is different. But the third one is the lab that is ready to go to scale. And that's the one I think that would be of the most interest to uh, the permaculture audience, not that the other wouldn't. So It is Regenerate Illinois, and they're ready to go essentially from farm to table to farm to food system, specifically hospital food system for regenerative agriculture. We're looking at probably oatmeal, and with that, we have a hospital in a trial, we have multiple farmers, we have a mill, and we're gathering the people around them at a solutions lab at Transform to help them take the next steps to do what that. And we're helping them with their own crowdfunding campaign to go next. But we're also figuring out what the real fundraising strategy is. And there's a, a great team, the folks from Iroquois Valley, which is a large uh, $50 million uh, real estate investment trust that loans to farmers to help them become organic farmers is on the board. And we have a system entrepreneur leading the way who's marshalling the whole system together, a woman named Carol Hayes. And So that one's pretty exciting. And we have another lab that is a big deal. But I think that's a pretty interesting thing, I think, from that standpoint. So go back a little bit. So last year was Region 18. Now you formed this new organization, Gather Lab, and launched Transform 2019, which is not really a conference, it looks like. It's much more of an interactive happening. So (laughs) tell me about the formation of Gather Lab and what you're accomplishing and then Transform. So people are tired of events and you go and you meet the people, you realize you want to do something together. There's a common problem and then it doesn't happen. And, you know, events that are standalone things are not the future. You know, cohorts working together on problems that we all need to collectively solve in light of climate change are the things we want to be about. 
So we have a lab and we're working, you know, we have a Slack instance for Regenerate Illinois and we're on regular conference calls and et cetera. We have a, another piece of software given to us by the Capital Institute called HiveBright that is an online collaboration software that was developed for the Oxford University uh, alumni that, where people can go when it really gets to problem solving. But we're willing to host the monthly conference calls and get the people in the room from our SOCAP network, essentially, who can help move this forward. This is a system that's ready to go from farm to table to farm to food service. And we have a hospital and we have 10 years of relationships that makes this ready. You know, there's been people working with doctors to get them into kitchens to make them realize what food really is and have them cook and then going out to the farm and realize what healthy living soil really means to food and how healthy living soil makes better food that makes better people. And the doctors have all the studies that prove that and they have it in small parts. They have gardens at all these hospitals and they can show quantifiably that healthy soil makes healthy food, makes people healthier, but they haven't had a way to do it at scale. So we think, and we're still circling on this, but we think it will be oatmeal because all hospitals need oatmeal. They buy a lot of it. And then because we're funding a transformation, we are tying it to some capital expenditures because it's a lot easier to get people to buy into the return on assets than it is to buy a transformation as a concept. So there's a $200,000 oat steamer that one hospital needs. We're doing the research to say who all needs an oat steamer. And then there's capital expenditures needed on the farm to manage that scale. And there's capital expenditures needed for larger distribution. If you're not going from farm to table, you're not taking in a pickup truck. You know, if you're going from farm to food service, you need something that really does deliver. You need harvesting at greater scale. So there's going to be levels of shared infrastructure by Illinois farmers. We're working with folks in Peoria, Illinois. This is really going to play in Peoria because the hospitals in Peoria are actually really enlightened about the role of soil leading to food, leading to health. And so they're ready to really do it. And so this could be an overnight success built on 10 years of trusted relationships. So how many farmers are involved in this? So in the initial trial, there are three, you know, Midwestern-sized farmers. Midwestern-sized farmers are, you know, 1,000 acres, 1,500, 2,000 acre mm -hmm. kind of thing. Three farmers on board, one hospital ready to, you know, do it at scale. They've talked to their food service folks, and they're saying, we're doing a trial. This is not going through you, but we, you know, they have to work all the contractual things to get the food service out of there, the Cisco's, the whoever, out of there to say, we're doing a trial here, locally sourcing at scale. And so all that's in place, the hospital's there, and the hospital's only ready to say yes because they know it's true, right? They've had gardens by the hospital, and they've done research studies on what it's like for people to eat carrots from regenerative soil as opposed to, you know, commercial farming. So they know it, they're ready to take it to scale. One of the things that's great about this is that it's not happening in Boulder or Vermont or North Marin. You know, it's happening in Peoria where farming is at scale and you have to be practical. And so these are serious farmers who want to move this way. You know, it's interesting about this is I'm thinking about the way the Democracy Collaborative talks about anchor institutions. So they find Exactly. This is, yeah. This is so the same kind of thing. You're tapping into the anchor institutions that are already there. They're already spending that money. And so you're filling a need in the case of a hospital, a way that just makes more sense because hospitals right. are actually finally waking up to the fact that they need to serve nutritious food to sick people. Right. There's a group of about a dozen hospitals that have been well prepped by nonprofits over the last decade about 
this is the way to go. And so we're going to prove it with one. And then I think we can you know, go quickly across Illinois. And, you know, once you go there, it's, you can go to Indiana, you can go where, you know, it, it'll spread through relationships with other people who have relationship with hospitals in the Midwest. And it can go anywhere, but, it, you know, an innovation doesn't spread any faster than a relationship. So after this first trial, if it's successful, are you starting a company kind of like Organic Valley, something where you can scale it across the country? Yeah, we're looking into that. We aren't going to be the ones to do that at Gather Lab. We might take a share. We're looking at, you know, things like a mutual company makes sense where the community can buy in, you know, like mutual insurance. Mm-hmm. And so people could buy into future health by being part of this. And, you know, it can pay off because we have assets and you get you can get a return on assets and that makes it investable as opposed to purely philanthropic. But, you know, we're not there yet. We are at the stage of figuring out what with this hospital and these farmers and we have a great mill right now that's a, it is bringing in all the heritage grains to Chicago and all the high end bakeries. But, you know, it can be at more scale, but it is doing regenerative agriculture at the highest scale in the Midwest is, you know, selling to the top bakeries in Chicago. But that's not enough. That's a small part. But these are, you know, grains grown in a way that is regenerative, that is building the topsoil with a healthy uh, microorganism in the soil. And so that mill is able to go to scale. It has latent capacity that we can fill. So we're going to prove this works. Then we want everybody to come look at it and figure out, you know, we're going to be completely open source about this is the, you know, the constellation of capital infrastructure we had to do. Bigger trucks, bigger harvesters, you know, bigger distribution. And maybe it could be that not every hospital wants steamed oats, but steamed oats seem to be things hospitals like. And so you know, we're going to do all that research. And then our role is to catalyze. And then there will be a lot of consultants go in after that who want to guide you through the process of change, change management consultants. We'll hand it off to them. We want to convene labs at four levels, one on things that are launching, the second next year on things that are ready to expand. You know, just think of them as one step on the stair step, two steps, then putting in the final arch, the keystone arch that makes scaling happen. You build a road, build an arch, and then we're going to also take a deep look at something that really worked that went to scale and we have something there, but that's not relevant for a permaculture audience. I love it. This is a really interesting new model. You're, there's always something happening with you, Kevin. I love it. Well, you know, I, I just realized that events aren't the deal. It's what happens before the events and after the events. So we built an, an event that is really, the event is the on-ramp to a continuing engagement and we will continue in, to engage with these cohorts. You know, some people are calling them, Guilds on a quest, you know, kind of borrowed from World of Warcraft. But mm-hmm. these are people coming together. And I can talk about the profile of who we want in the labs. I think it's kind of relevant. We yeah. want groups that, are, that are, are, are self-identified as this group. And that self-identified group has a clear goal. And they've hit some milestones. They've raised some money. They found other money difficult. And that money that is difficult is a system failure. It's not their fault. The system mm-hmm. doesn't fund that. The system at this point doesn't fund regenerative agriculture going from farm to table to food service. So we want to do it once, see what the investment requirements are, see what the practical requirements are. And, you know, mm-hmm. led by Carol Hayes, a brilliant woman that you should talk to from right outside Chicago, who's really the leader. And she's knitting the whole thing together. All these systems have a system entrepreneur in the middle. And that's someone who is not leading a particular enterprise, but is getting the whole ecosystem into the phase of changing. 
So they're one step removed from impact. So they're harder. They're hard to fund because they're one step removed from impact, right? I mean, they're not the farmer. They're not the mill. They're putting together the farmer, the mill, the hospital, and everybody else in the ecosystem. They assemble ecosystems. They're sometimes called network weavers, but there's been a lot written and the Coffin Foundation really likes the term system entrepreneur. They're not an entrepreneur that is in a business. They don't have solar panels going to Africa. They're putting together the system that allows solar panels to Africa. Or in the case of Carol, she's putting together the things that allow regenerative agriculture in Illinois in Peoria, this will play in Peoria, to move from farm to table to farm to food system, to food service. And we want to do this every year with four new labs. So what does the gathering in San Francisco look like? Tell me a little bit about that. There are four labs. One of those labs is the dashboard wanting to evangelize to the B Corp. Hey, let's pay attention to the people at the base of our supply system and make sure that those are those relationships stay reciprocal relationships as opposed to commodifying relationships. You know, a lot of good fair trade products end up commodifying the people at the base of the supply system, or they don't give them enough, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, we want to keep those relationships. So they know what they're doing and we're going to help them reach the B Corps, but that's their job. So that's the one that's expanding. There's another lab on launch, and that's a game based on the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. And they've actually gamed out the system around water and sanitation. So globally, there's 1,800 people who die every day from problems with water and sanitation. In Sub-Saharan Africa, in India, even in the US, in South America, in Asia. And they figured out the set of expenditures that you could spend, that you're spending now on water and sanitation that would eliminate those deaths and result in clean water and healthy sanitation. And they built it as a massive plan. It's one of these things that's called a social impact bond, which is where you pay for success, you know, and and you want to pay now to, let's say, end recidivism in a neighborhood. And so you do it by going upstream. And it's a kind of funding mechanism that works. And it, it was too big a system play for the funders to understand. So they've broken it down into a game with a set of scenarios. And they're going through an accelerator at MIT led by Theory U to come out with that game. And they will be launching that game at Transform. And so happens that that accelerator ends the day before Transform. What's the name of the game? Uh, Ecoopoly right now. It's kind of a working title. But, you know, it's targeted right now at sort of the big players. You know, it's targeted at impact investors in India and development agencies like USAID and the others who are working on this thing at some scale. But they're not spending their money right. These people have figured out this is a better way to spend our money and get the result we want compared to you know the way you're doing it. And we'll be taking that game, downscaling it in a way so you could take it to your home watershed and apply it in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So that's launching. They've got one thing figured out and they will be launching that game and they'll be able to get people engaged with it. So at Transform, people will be learning that game and helping them figure out how to, yes, this works in India, in rural villages with development agencies and early stage impact investors who are investing in water and sanitation. But we can make it work in your town too. So that's lab one. 
Interesting. Well, I love the work of Otto Sharmer and I have interviewed him and was hosted a Kansas City group for the um, Transforming Capitalism Lab last year, which is sort of evolved into Societal Transformation Labs. So that's really exciting. This this accelerator is going through the Societal Transformation Lab Accelerator at MIT. Okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with them. So great to see that part of it. Okay. So that's that's, uh, lab number one. Lab number two is the dashboard that they want to bolt on as a new metric for all the B Corps around the world. There's nothing in the B Corps that says, how do you treat the people at the base of your supply system? The B Lab metric looks at three things. How did you help the environment? How did you help your community? And what did you do for your employees? Which is all great, but it doesn't do anything looking downstream to how did you source your product? And those people, were they treated as people or were they treated as tools, as commodities, as widgets? This has a way of looking at those relationships, working with the Purapecha people, the nation of Purapecha Nation in Michoacan, Mexico, the massive uh, regenerative forestry project in Mexico, which is Ejido Verde. They've got like 700 people working on it now, and it's an amazing project if you haven't looked at it. It's going to be a billion dollars in wealth creation in that indigenous nation over 20 years, and it's going to be 12,000 hectares, 25,000 acres, and massive climate change response. And they're already expanding to the mosquito people of Nicaragua and one group of Guatemala. There's a global shortage of pine resin because China's moved away from it. You know, they kind of, they were the global leader until about a couple of years ago, and they basically over-farmed and they harvested too much and they've moved on. That's, you know, the other thing I like about that is it's a regenerative solution to the immigration problem. Because if you're creating exactly. thriving economies, yeah. then you solve right. that problem. And so, I went down with Sean Paul, you know, the fellow who started Root Capital, and it took about three days to, you know, we have to, so you can't own land in rural Mexico. It has to be owned by a community. So Sean and his team have figured out how to invest in a community and still have collateral. If somebody isn't doing their job, you get usage rights for those trees and they get paid at the end, but you can take over. So they did that and you know, the deals take about three days to do. There's three or four indigenous councils you go through and you know, it took that many councils sitting in different circles. And that community of 6,000 people and 900 acres is going to make $49 million over the time of the project. So that will be as if they had come up to the stage of being white-collar workers in Portugal today. So it's wealth creation at scale, but it's three times as large as any other reforestation project in Mexico. And they have an 80% survival rate versus 18 because they can pay people to maintain the trees. And do you have any idea what the number of people that might be involved with as far as employment? Well, right now, there are about 750 em- people employed, and we're at about, I think, 3,000 hectares, and we're going to 12. So, you know, it'll be about four or 5,000 people employed. But, you know, those, you often employ day laborers, and other people in the communities are the ones who have the rights to that land. So, you know, it'll be $1 billion to the Purapecha people in the state of Michoacan over 20 years. And the project goes longer than that, but we just, so they get 95 cents on the dollar of the money that goes to the uh, pine resin refinery. Mm -hmm. You know, each community gets 95%. We get 5% and we get 10% from the refinery because, you know, they're glad to have it. The refinery has lost almost two thirds of its supply over the last 25 years because of deforestation. So Mm -hmm. they're only running one shift when they want to run three shifts. So this is solving a, a problem for them as well. That's 
Right. And they built this dashboard to keep relationships intact. And it asked four questions. First question is, were these relationships seen to be reciprocal? You know, did it work for you? Did it work for me? Second, are we adding to cultural value in the place? And if that worked, did it create business value? And then does it create investor value? And so, you know, and, and this will get 14 to 17% internal rate of return over the life of an investor's participation. But alongside that, Sean has persuaded Guayaquil, Lotus Foods, and uh, indigenous designs to participate in this dashboard, and many more want to. And they realize, gosh, this works. It's working inside Guayaquil. It's working inside Lotus Foods and indigenous to run our businesses these way. Our employees like it and our distributors like it. It's a better story. And if you have a food product, I know from investing in Alter Eco, the more your distributors like the deep story, the more you get end caps at, say, whole, whole food month, but also the lower your slotting fees go. When we started with Alter Eco eight or nine years ago as an investor, uh, they had like 17% slotting fees, which just means that's how much it costs to get on the shelf. Because people like the fact that Alter Eco was not only organic, it was fair trade, it was not only carbon negative with offsets, it became carbon negative with insets, meaning the groundwater was improved with commercial quinoa in Bolivia. Our slotting fees went down into single digits, so almost cut in half. And so that meant you know, our cost of goods goes down because there's deep goodness inside the product. People want deep goodness inside the product. They don't want slavery in their iPhones, but they have them. They will have good relationships inside Guayaquil's mate, yerba mate. They will have good relationships inside Lotus Foods rice and good relationships inside the garments that uh, Indigenous Designs works with uh, Amazonian or uh, really Andean weavers. People are demanding so, good relationships all the way down in their products. Yeah, I, it's, it's really good. I mean, it's starting to show up on the shelves um, yeah. slowly. It's, it's really encouraging. Um, so when you say dashboard, um, what does that look like? It's still in progress, but it's a way of asking questions, just like you would any other dashboard. You know, it has the four basic questions that we can go into real depth is, did the relationship of extraction of this natural product or good feel like it was a reciprocal, trustable relationship by the people that you took it from. They supplied a natural product or an ingredient. You know, Did that work for both sides? Would they do it again? Or did it feel extractive, like traditional you know, industrial farming? Then did it create cultural value or were you forced to be somebody else to deal with them as a customer? So, you know, was there a strengthening of the Purapechan nation's identity by these relationships? And then, was it good business for the business side? And was it investable? You know, is this something people could put their money in, patient, slow money capital, and get it out at an acceptable return after harvest? So, two questions for the suppliers, two questions for the business. Is this something that's going to be used for all B Corps moving forward? That's their goal. They want to say, this is working for us. Our employees are bought into this and they feel really good. Our suppliers are liking it. They're not sure if it has brand value yet, but they say the highest and best thing they can do, and they're all B Corps, is to take it to the B Corps you know, events and say, look, let's add this to the metric. And we know the B Corp founders and you know, all that kind of stuff. The B Corps represent businesses you want to do good. This is a way that, that you can add to doing good to make sure that you, your relationships all the way down 
of you sourcing the ingredients in your product are good. So you know there's no slavery inside your iPhone. You know, there will be no slavery inside these products. There will be no demeaning of people. There will be nothing that, you know, that doesn't work for them. Mm. You know, it's a realization that with climate change, we're all in it together. Okay. So, um, and what's number three? Number three is Regenerate Illinois. It's going to scale. Think of it as the capstone arch being put in. And we have one pilot and we're doing all the documentation to make it easy for other pilots to happen. But we've got a hospital and they'll be coming and we have three farmers coming and we have the mill coming and we have the whole group around it with Iroquois Valley that they want to invest in these farmers. And this is really preparing the way to invest more in farmers who want to go beyond organic to regenerative at scale. And then the fourth thing you know, I can go into, and, and it's, it's pretty significant, actually. It's a new donor advised fund platform linking impact assets, which spun out of Calvert, RSF, and the Tides Foundation. And so by linking and coming up with the same criteria, there's suddenly a billion-dollar player that can both invest and donate to do good to some of these labs. Okay. Before, those groups never talked to each other. So it's like a serious piece of, you know, they were, they were doing good things, each in their silo. Now there's plumbing and they're interoperable. So that really matters because together there's a billion dollars in play to invest in, let's say, regenerative agriculture and to donate to, because donor advised funds can both give and invest. But the people who put their money in have already gotten a deduction. So the money doesn't go back to them. But when they make money from an investment, it gives them more money to give to again. And that's, it's a really popular you know, wealth management practice that's spreading everywhere. But these are the mission-focused donor-advised funds led by Impact Assets, which spun out of Calvert. And now it'll be a, you know, a billion-dollar platform. We'll say, look, we all work together. And if you, if you get approval from one of us, it could be that there are other people who own these donor-advised funds who love regenerative agriculture who will jump all over it right so we're bringing things that need money to take them to scale and we have another player who can take them to scale and it can give and it can invest so for those listeners that aren't familiar with impact investing could you give a quick definition of impact sure impact investing? you know this whole thing started out with screened investments 20 years ago which just said i won't invest let's say in gambling guns and drugs you know and so you screened out the negative and then you try to invest in things that did good. And, but impact investing is proactively mission-focused investing. So it's like being able to think like a philanthropist, but act like an investor. You can take the goals of philanthropy and you can plug impact investing into it. It doesn't make philanthropy less. Giving still matters, but now you can invest and do good. It's, it's large. There's you know, uh, multiple billions in impact investing. And one of the things they like is local agriculture, but they also invest in, let's say, solar panels in rural Africa. And those work, the simple math on that is that each year around a million people die from indoor air pollutions from kerosene in huts in Africa. If you put solar panels on it, really good ones, we work with a group called Zola that does it at really high scale, then the cost of energy goes down 40% for each of those African families, right? The cost of kerosene is $100. The cost of solar panels is $60. So they get 40 more dollars that they would have gone to energy. But we also take out the air pollution that's killing a million people a year. 
And we can make good money by when you're saving that much costs. And, and then the light is really stronger and you can read at night. You know, uh, there's not enough money to read at night from kerosene for the whole family. Now the girls can read and the boys can read. Often in these things, only the firstborn son got to read because there was only one kerosene lamp. So that's mm-hmm. a, a simple example of impact investing. It's, it's domestic things uh, with immigrants in the U.S., but that's an example. And so donor advised funds fit into that. They will invest there, but they also invest in plastic solutions to oceans plastic. And you know, they, they're investing in solutions to climate change like regenerative agriculture and forestry. So it, it's really investing, doing what only giving used to do. So looking at the uh, Transform 19 uh, <laughs> gathering, uh, what do you call it? It's not a conference. It's a lab. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is a conference, but, but it's labs. And then we're also going to be asking people to ask questions. You know, here's, we're helping people set up their own labs. And we have a set of questions that you ask to figure out who's at the table, who's not at the table, all those kinds of things. So we'll be helping people work toward having labs on their own. Okay. And so you've got, you know, there's quite a few organizations that are involved and then 50 plus speakers. Right. And so give me an idea of what the structure of this looks like. If I am thinking about coming here, I might be involved in helping develop one of these four particular labs. So like, what does this well, look like as an yeah, if you If you come in from the permaculture standpoint, okay, let's just talk to your core. Yep. They would love being involved in the Regenerate Illinois lab, which is, you know, taking permaculture to scale, uh, you know, around one crop in one place that could be replicated. But then there'll be all kinds of things of learning how to crowdfund and learning how to take it home. So it'll be a lot of, this is how they did it. And here's how you can take it home. And you can do this in Kansas City or whatever. It's all about distributing the things that are working. And then we want to help people stay engaged afterwards through conference calls and through Slack channels and those kinds of things. So keeping people engaged around these big tasks, you know, regenerative agriculture is a key one, you know, taking permaculture to scale. But then there'll be things around crowdfunding. There'll be things around ocean solutions that don't fit into a lab. There'll be things that are not labs. Not every session is a lab. There are panels, there are keynotes, there are all these other things. But if you have particular expertise, you can be in, you know, the labs have about 30 people in them each. But then we'll also be letting people listen in outside. But then a lot of interaction sessions about look at your own situation and where are you on the path to creating a lab? And we want these labs to pop up. They'll be like our TEDx model, right? Mm -hmm. We want this to be a regenerative agriculture lab could pop up in Kansas City or Duluth, Minnesota or whatever once we figure out what the model is and how to replicate it. The three themes together, they're overlapping, are climate, communities, and capital. So some things only have two communities and capital, and we're only working on some of those. Others have climate communities and capital all told, and some are just climate and capital. There'll be panels, there'll be keynotes, and there'll be lots of interactive and stuff you can take home. You can learn stuff and you can stay connected. We, we never built any of these events to keep people connected afterward, you know, which was the real problem. And so now right. we're keeping people connected after the conference. The conference is an on-ramp. You know, the conference is the gateway drug to transformation. Mm-hmm. So, and then are there online, you mentioned to have Hivebright, uh, the yeah. Capital Institute is given to you. Is that something that someone from the public can go and look at, or is that <coughs> a, a private um, Well, platform? right now, our instance is only for our attendees, because, you know, this is a software that costs $10,000 a year to maintain. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, and they're doing that for us, thank God. So you have to buy a ticket to do that. We have some virtual labs and some other things that'll be outside of that. 
But mm-hmm. that one application has limits because there's maintenance. So, and we talked a little bit about this last year of just way to track all of these different things that are happening with these different organizations and people. Um, are you intent to have? Oh yeah, have one huge thing. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and one huge thing we didn't even tell you, which we should have. I'm sorry. We are going to be debuting the most comprehensive research around what all the funds that call themselves regenerative are and what their pipeline looks like and their portfolio and their investments. So we'll be able to say, this is what regenerative agriculture looks like to these 34 funds, including Iroquois Farms, but I mean, Iroquois Valley, but 33 other funds. Because it's been hard to identify what the heck an investment fund focused on regeneration really is and really isn't. So we've done the research. Ethan Solovia of How Good, and who's also part of the Regenesis team, is leading that research. We've got one of our investors who just loves the work of learning all this stuff, doing it. And we've got a really good MBA student from the Presidio School who's worked for a hip investor and a lot of folks who knows that kind of research. And we'll be making that public to everybody and we'll be adding to it, but we'll also be making it so other people can add to it. We have partnerships there that we're in the process of syncing up. There is some proprietary research being done by other folks, which we'll be showing, but they're not letting you in on what the real data is. So we'll be open on our research about what the heck regenerative investment looks like in uh, agriculture. So you've been releasing a series, um, Nicholas Astor's been releasing a series yeah. of videos and articles on yeah. LinkedIn. Are those going to be on the uh, Gather Lab Race? It's transformseries.net website? Or oh, yeah. how yeah. can and people check those out? Yeah, and we have a YouTube channel. Okay. The simplest place is to go to YouTube and use their servers rather than ours. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, and I'll put the uh, link to that in the show notes then. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, because I've watched several of those and they're very... Uh, very they're really great people are coming. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can, I can go on about the people, that, but I'm just trying to make it more ag-focused for, you know, and well, permaculture-focused. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely ag-focused. So tell me, give me a highlight of a couple of people that uh, you're about that are going to be speaking. Yeah. So Chid Liberty, who's kind of a real star, leads a company called Sanergy, which is solving the sanitation problem. You know, it's a well-funded startup in India and Africa is coming. Uh, he's a pretty amazing guy. Nora Bateson, who does warm data. Just look, Google warm data and Nora Bateson is coming. Carol Sanford is coming again to give a keynote. Mm-hmm. Akaya Winwood is coming to talk about intersectionality and justice as it relates to climate, uh, communities, and capital. Well, there are a lot, but those are some people that just came this week you know, there are many. I mean, I'm, those are just three that we've confirmed what they're doing. A guy named Bill Reed from Regenesis, who's one of the real leaders in understanding regenerative community at scale, is coming. And uh, he and I are writing something together. And for, for those who know him, like Bill Reed is, is, is a really heck of a guru at the Regenesis group. And uh, a friend of mine named Sam Alamayu, who is coming. And he's coming. <laughs> he's an amazing guy. I met him when he was just out of Stanford, and he was an associate at a venture firm. And his story already was amazing. He grew up on a dirt floor with four kids in Addis Ababa and wrote an essay. His parents cited on the wrong side of a political dispute, wrote an essay and got into a, a top prep school in the Northeast and did phenomenally well, wrote a similar letter, got into Stanford, and everybody was saying, Sam, you got out. Oh, my God, you're so amazing. You got out. And he realized he wanted to go back. And so he went back and he launched an amazing business, raised $30 million, 
to build a factory that turns the waste dump, 19 soccer fields wide is how they measure things, in Addis into something that is powering uh, 25% of the energy for Addis. And it's more than solar. It's enough energy to do welding. So real industry can happen. A huge amount of water and bricks. And the carbon sequestration is through the moon. And having done that, he raised $700 million to do it in Lagos and all the other mega cities in Africa, sold 51% of that to a Chinese company, and now is investing in uh, rural biomass to energy all over Africa. But he's also bringing a startup that he's invested in and founded called Pitch and Flow. And so it's bringing some Afri- uh, entrepreneurs from Africa, but other folks, and they're coming to transform. And it's you know typically in pitches, it's all in a Western cultural format. You stand up at the front, you do your PowerPoints, and you, you look like you went to an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. Pitch and Flow is hip-hop DJs doing rap battles for their entrepreneurs. So it's going to like shake everybody up. You know, it's like you get out of your head and then the investors are going to have to realize, okay, there's real solid information in this hip hop. I need to learn to listen to hip hop and somehow appreciate it. So it's going to like bend people's heads. But the other thing is this company was started by three Africans. So it started by Chid Liberty, who I mentioned at Sanergy and by Sam Alamayu and a third guy who works for USAID, the development agency for the U.S. countries, U.S., That is the liaison to Africa. So you have three African investors. So that's really different because typically when you have these conferences, you talk about what you're going to do for the Africans. Here, the Africans are coming into town and they're great. I mean, they have their own stage at South by Southwest. Sam is trying to get me to come in April and they're saying, I'm putting together a conference. But they have their own stage. I mean, these people are already great. Sam and I want to go around the world taking our labs and pitch and flow to events like the Skull World Forum and uh, the Sand Calps and other kinds of things. He and I, he and I have been buddies for a while. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a nice picture. You know, the old straight white guy and the young African cash-out entrepreneur. We're kind of a, I, I'm, he's tall and skinny like an Ethiopian, and I'm, a, I'm big like an old white guy that needs to lose weight. <laughs> so are there uh, videos on YouTube of Pitch and Flow? I'd love to see an example. Oh, yeah. Look at pitchandflow.com. They have tons of these things. Yeah, they, okay. they, and, you know, yeah they're great. And he will both bring some rap folks, but he's connected with some of the top hip-hop DJs in San Francisco. And so oh, we'll wow. be having you know, people I don't know up there doing right. stuff that I'll, I'll have to learn how to listen to hip-hop rap more than... I don't really listen to that much hip-hop rap, just to let you know. Uh, okay. It's, it's not my... Uh, it's not where I go. You know, I'm a rock and roll guy. Oh, uh, well, that sounds super interesting, super cool. You're becoming more hip by the moment. So that's, well, that's I'm, I'm, I'm definitely near some hip folks. So, so for people that want to start to learn more about regenerative enterprise in general, do you have any suggestions of where they start in terms of well, books or a documentaries yeah. or anything like that? You know, geez, you know, I mean, I think, the Terra Genesis folks are great. The stuff Carol Sanford does with her videos are great. Your podcast is obviously one. We have a newsletter and we're talking about you know regenerative agriculture as it touches on our labs that we're doing every week. You know, Nick Astor is doing this and he used to lead Triple Pundit until he always sold it last year. So he's building out our editorial product. If you have podcasts that need to go out, we have a 60,000 person newsletter that he got from Triple Pundit and we're adding to that has a better than 40% open. So, you know, we have a newsletter that people are paying attention to. 
But I think, you know, Ethan writes a lot. Ethan Soloviev is writing mm-hmm. a lot more now. And he is leading that whole track for us around regenerative agriculture. Mm-hmm. I think our research, people are going to love. You'll be able to really dive deep into these funds and these companies. And we're going to make it so people can add to it with some buffering. You know, there'll be an editor behind it to say that's right. a valid comment or whatever. And we have people who, will, you know, we don't want to host the database, but we're working with folks who will host the database who who also will bring angel investors to it. The Artha platform will be bringing their angel network to the database of regenerative agriculture. Excellent. Well, very exciting. Well, you've given me names of quite a few people I need to go talk to for yeah. the podcast, and I'm going to try and get out there to San Francisco. If oh, you possible. got to. We'll give you a room up on the third floor that'll be quiet. Okay, perfect. Good. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. I look forward to seeing you in person again soon. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, thanks for all that you're doing in the world because it's time. This stuff has to happen and it is happening. So yeah, the heyday of the event itself is over. It's like what happens before and what happens after. The event is just the on-ramp. The event is the gateway drug to transformation. And then you can Mm. stay engaged. Right. Love it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. (laughs) Thank you, David. And that was Kevin Jones. You can find more about his work with GatherLab at gatherlab.net and Transform, Climate, Communities, and Capital, which runs from May 22nd to the 24th, 2019 in San Francisco, California at thetransformseries.net. I've also included many of the organizations and initiatives mentioned today in the show notes, as well as links to earlier interviews with Otto Scharmer and Carol Sanford. Though Kevin gives us quite a bit regarding the various ways he and others focus on business development, impact investing, and what to expect from the upcoming Transform Conference, what I think about from this conversation and my own experience is that burst of energy we have, the anticipation and excitement leading up to an event, the fall-off afterward, and what we can do to keep the momentum and possibility for change going once we're no longer together. Kevin uses a lot of technology to accomplish this goal through conference calls, Slack instances, and custom software. For those of us not plugged into those resources, I think of Facebook events and meetup groups, or even just posting meeting details to an Instagram account or Twitter to bring us and keep us together. As we have our meetings and conversations after an event, we need to continue learning the stories of those around us, whether a personal anecdote or, like Kevin and his folks are doing with Transform, the stories of successful professionals the people who did the work, overcame the struggles, and found a way forward. Can we, as Kevin himself mentioned at the beginning of the interview, openly talk about the fact we failed, to share that the journey along the way is more than just our successes, and we have other lessons to learn through failure, such as the temperament Kevin's wife brings to their businesses that balances his thoughts and energy. To me, however, the most important part is ongoing face-to-face time where we consistently show up. The further I dig into my focus with permaculture, social permaculture and community development, the more importance I place on getting to know one another, through silly stories like the origins of a nickname, to conversations about what breaks our heart, how we fell in love with a piece of land, or discovered the calling and created a business that changed our lives and the lives of others. We all have stories of successes and failures. Those stories matter. What are your stories? If you'd like to get in touch and share your thoughts on this interview or anything else in the archives, call 717-827-6266, email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or write The Permaculture Podcast, 
P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. Until the next time, invest with meaning, spend time face-to-face with others, and share your stories while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.